0: Welcome to the Closeness Podcast. The following is based on personal experiences and experiences that have been related to us. It is our sincere hope that you take something positive and uplifting from each discussion. We strongly encourage everyone, however you may identify, to tune in. Now, are you ready to get closer? Let's get started. What is it that scares some of us so much that we prefer being alone or emotionally uninvolved? even if we're in a relationship, than to be with someone where we feel close and loving. Without a doubt, we all want and need love. We all want and need to be close to someone. Why is our fear of intimacy competing with our need for love? Some people prefer to be alone or with someone with whom they're unemotionally involved. Why does that feel safer? Safer than all of the joys and benefits that closeness seems to offer. Some of us feel better not putting ourselves at risk to be hurt. And what is at the core of being hurt? Well, we don't do anything in life for any reason other than thinking that in the doing or having of it, we'll feel better. And if not that, then we're very motivated by pain and the avoidance of it. So for some of us, it may feel safer to simply not love, in spite of the ability to get our needs met. So what does it often come down to? Fear. Fear of love, fear of intimacy, fear of being exposed, fear of people seeing us for who we really are. Nowadays, we get our love from likes or a text message or a response on our phone that somehow, some way, lights up our brain a little bit more than an actual, authentic, smile from someone sitting right in front of you sometimes we convince ourselves that it's easier not to love that it's easier to let all of our needs and wants go unmet so that we don't have to risk the uncertainty of potential loss or being hurt we don't have to risk closeness or the pain that comes from loving when we don't risk anything we know exactly what we're going to get nothing And it's interesting because maybe, say, the other half of our population wants love because we believe that that's where the answer is, that the answer is love. When in fact, tens of millions of us can find ourselves in relationship where we aren't having our needs met or feeling loved. And every day is not a merry-go-round of pleasure, but more like a roller coaster of emotional ups and downs. If we take the tiniest peek into some of our pasts, we know that love has hurt us and caused us pain, an enormous amount of pain. Sometimes so much pain that we never want to love again or so much pain that it takes us months, even years, before we feel prepared to risk or open ourselves up again. And there's a huge risk in relationships. We have to be seen for who we are. We have to be emotionally honest, and rejection can come from that. People can judge us, talk about us behind our backs, abandon us, leave us. So many of us choose not to risk that. We choose not to take the risk and experience closeness for what we perceive to be the greater pain of putting ourselves out there. So one of the most interesting things about closeness is that it brings a sense of loss of control. Somehow, some way, when we met someone in the park or on a dating app or as a referral from a friend or on Instagram, there's nothing in our minds that makes us think, this is the person who's going to challenge me the most. Yet somehow we attract people who are similar to our parents or who deny us the same things we were denied as children, and somehow we find that in our adult counterparts. So it really challenges some of our deepest fears about who we are and whether it's okay to just be us. Whatever our definition of just being ourselves is, whether it's a terrible monster or a beautiful being, closeness, this thing that you hear me talk about day in and day out, it's sometimes one of the greatest risks we can take. And that's because of what it requires. It requires so much trust, openness, vulnerability, self-worth, acceptance of yourself, acceptance of others. A lot of us have just learned to shy away from it. Some of us shy away from closeness every day. You hear me talk about this a lot with how people interact with each other in public. We don't make eye contact anymore. We don't smile. We don't say hello. We don't put ourselves out there because we don't want to risk the tiniest chance that we might be rejected or seen in an unattractive way. Sometimes we push people away in such an ugly way that we do hurtful things to them intentionally so that they don't get close to us. Sabotage much? People who love us, care for us, or want to date us or sleep with us, we hurt them so that they can't get close. We shoot people down before they have a chance to reject us. When people are so busy finding fault, pointing fingers, feeling offended, and blaming, well, it's very easy to point the finger and not take a look inward. So we wind up wearing these masks. We've been speaking about that. We'll be speaking a lot more about that. We put on this persona that we put forward, pretending to be anything other than who we are. Some of us have chosen a more leisurely lifestyle, and we might spread ourselves too thin, and we dilute or spread out our energy. This can be seen in people who go on multiple dates each week, where they go out for the sole purpose of a meal ticket or someone buying them dinner, or just trying to have sex with whoever will have sex with you, or get attention from perfect strangers by having a girls' night out and getting all done up and then going to a nightclub where you have no intention to really talk to someone, but you want to get all that attention. We all have our mechanisms to avoid closeness. Some people are terrified to initiate or to begin a relationship with anyone for fear of being hurt. Some people's coping mechanism or defense mechanism is to run away all the time. Gosh, I have an ex who would run every time anything went wrong or any time she didn't want to confront her own demons. Even when we'd have a little argument, she'd be gone for a day or two or three. It was our complete undoing because it doesn't allow for any communication. And then when you come back, the other person gets so resentful, in this case myself, waiting, wondering, first you're just frustrated and angry, then you're actually worried and concerned. Is this person alive? Are they okay? Did something seriously wrong happen? And these types of communication styles can really butt heads. What's interesting too, though, is oftentimes people don't run because something is so painful or even dramatically wrong. They run because staying means it would require them to be vulnerable or to look at themselves or simply be loving some people run because they have no idea how to be close others because they have no idea how to start a relationship we don't learn this stuff growing up we don't get the book of love the book of life and the book of closeness so we fall in love with the apple of our eye and wind up getting hurt and shut down and closed off and this pattern repeats itself over and over and over again we hurt and then we close down we hurt and then we close down and We also know that deep down, there's no benefit to staying closed down. That only keeps us distant and shut off from intimacy, but opening up can be so painful. So what do you do? How did we get here? We all start off as beautiful, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed infants, full of zest and life and hope and wonder. And none of us are intending to hurt anybody else, and we sure as hell are not intending to get hurt. When we have our first crush or we fall in love with someone Oftentimes there's no reciprocity, or it's certainly not the reciprocity we expect. Often there are other people who like us, but we pay them no heed because they aren't the object of our attention. But then when we get turned down, we put such unbelievable amounts of emotion and pain into what that rejection must mean when the person who we love no longer loves us or never loved us to begin with. We start to make all these beliefs strange things like we are unworthy, undesirable, unlovable, We start to make that true in our heads. Little by little, we begin to wall up or crack our perfect vase that was our youth. We start to get cracks and yes, the cracks can be lovable, but I feel like we all started off innocent and bright and then someone hurt us again and again. And then we started hurting people again and again. And it's a really sad cycle that we can't get out of hurting others or finding ways to not be hurt by others. One of the quickest things we can do to help alleviate this is to bring awareness to it and to the fact that we are often very cold and very chilly to people who like us when we're not attracted to them. And also we can be perhaps more understanding and empathetic to ourselves when the person we love doesn't have our best interest in mind. Self-abuse is never worth it. What do we do when we're in something that we don't like? Some of us have learned to run from unhealthy or toxic relationships. Some of us stay in them for years. And then some of us who have made the habit of running from toxic relationships do just that. They make a habit of running and running and running when something gets too close or too much of a reminder of their father or mother. So there's always something hidden within us that prevents us from getting the closeness that we need. Is it countless temporary relationships? Is it a long-term relationship with someone who we cannot stand or cannot be ourselves with or who we don't really love or who we're not sexually attracted to? Is it a fear of beginning a relationship to begin with? We all have within us the ability to make choices that are healthy for us to do the right thing, but sometimes we need a little bit of help with that. What's helped me along my way is finding people who are safe that I can trust, and finding tools and resources that may not even be within my circle of trust or the family members that I know. For many of us, that's turning to a very small group of friends, a very tiny, tiny, minuscule amount of people with whom we can actually be ourselves and share what's going on with us. Now, some of us have 5,000 Facebook friends and 2 million Instagram followers, But how many of these people would you share a really intimate sexual matter with? If we want to love, we have to open up. And we can open up. We can be honest about what we need and what we want. And we can also be honest about what kind of people we are in relationship. And I think we can do so without getting lost, without running, without losing ourselves, without surrendering our boundaries and our edges. And we can do so by asking ourselves a few simple questions. Are we sabotaging ourselves to not have closeness and intimacy in our lives? Are we consciously doing something that prevents us from experiencing it? What is it? How? Why? And is it serving us? Do you know what it is about people that makes you want to or not want to get close to someone? what is it that needs to change inside of us so that we're not settling for less than what we really want having a support system a family member a brother or sister a mother or father a grandparent or an in-law this can be nice and i know some of us are super close with our family but generally when it comes to matters of sex and intimacy not so much dating or matters of the heart or communication but the actual intimacy component of it It's really hard to speak about that kind of stuff to a family member. So then what do we do? A lot of us default to whoever our best friend is. And if we don't have one of those, whoever our closest friend nearby is, and sometimes anyone who will just listen to us. And then we fall prey to the advice of someone who may not necessarily know you, may not know what's best for you, and doesn't quite know how to help you through a situation that is extremely delicate. Because oftentimes, what do our friends do for us? They often act like our personal cheerleaders. I can think of more than a hundred times where I've heard someone say to the other, you don't need him, screw him, forget him, you're so much better than this. And they give us this sort of false sense of hope that nothing is wrong with us and we deserve better and just let this other guy go, forget it, move on. This is not real friendship, friends. There's not really a core addressing of what's going on with you. Why is this happening to both of you in the relationship. I see all the time people giving encouragement on Facebook, you got this, you can pull through, and the sort of keep going advice that generally people give. I don't find it to be sincere, especially when people are posting about tragedy, death, and horrible things that have happened to them. When I read that, even when it's done for myself, I ask myself, is this helping me, or am I just sort of being encouraged to ostensibly Chin up. So, what are some options when you want to get help? Well, you've got sex therapy and different forms of psychotherapy. And then, of course, you know, if you've listened to a few episodes before, that I offer personal coaching on getcloseness.com and that you can talk one on one with me. These options work, but they may not be for everyone. There may still be a couple things that are hindering you from getting help. Price. Or maybe in person feels a little too vulnerable for you because you have to be sitting face to face with someone who you don't know, sharing your innermost personal and private details. That creates a group of people who still need help but aren't getting the help that they need, which is why I am so excited to do the interview that we're doing today. Because to me, getting help these days professionally is a challenge. Who do you choose? How do you choose them? And how do you know if you can trust them? How are you going to get to them? What makes you choose one person over another? And do you want to be seen by someone while you're speaking about really sexual, really intimate subjects? On top of all that, most of us have this very interesting belief about ourselves where we think that we're perfectly fine, even when we're in crisis. It's very easy to look out and think that someone else has it worse or it's not so bad or that our own pleasure doesn't matter as much as making sure our partner feels good or if they're satisfied or if they love us. Sometimes we take a back seat to our own needs. Some of us are overconfident with our abilities in relationship. And it's interesting because once in a while I'll get the question, really, there are people needing help with relationship and wanting sex advices? My friend, who tell you this? I know how to kiss. I know how to talk to the girls. This is very natural for a relationship. There is up, there is down. You fight a little, love a little, fuck a little. That's it. But maybe I should get some coaching. Coaching? No, 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 no. You don't understand. Listen, I just tell you this one word. Everything get better. Communicate. Very easy. Very simple. I tell you what you need to know. For free. Are you ready? Be a man. Like me. So do we need help in our relationships? It's like, yes, of course we do. We all do. Who here has an ideal relationship where you never have problems, no sexual issues, no fighting, no arguing, everything's just peachy and you're having regular sex all the time. And if you're just writing it off as, well, there's ups and downs and you know good days and bad days, but you just work through that and it's all about communication, end of story, that's <laughs> really a minimalistic view of what's really happening in our relationships because so much more is at play. How many times have you tried to communicate in your past and not have it go well or not have it get resolved or have it turn into a worse situation than it was before? We all know what we struggle with in our darkest times when we're going through a breakup, when we really like someone but they don't like us, when we feel stuck or trapped in a relationship but we don't want to leave because we love them when our needs aren't being met, but we're not communicating them right. There are so many ways in which understanding how male-female dynamics work, how real communication works, and how to get along with your partner can make your life infinitely better. And of course, as is the purpose with all these podcasts, help you experience more pleasure. And that is why I love that we have a guest today on the show who has a solution to all of this. Her name is Brianna, and she's created something very special. It's a product that's aptly named Juicebox. I don't want to ruin the surprise before she explains it, but at the same time, I'm also really excited and proud to say that I get to be one of the coaches, and in fact, you'll be able to have direct access to me on what she's created. So, this will give you an opportunity to work with me and others in a way that you might not expect. But I'm going to let Brianna take it from here and tell you more about it. So, Brianna, welcome. Tell us a little bit about what Juicebox is.
1: Yeah, Juicebox is an app that allows you to connect with sex, dating, and relationship coaches and counselors through an app all anonymously, and you can text them back and forth as much as you want, and the coach always gets back to you within 24 hours. So it's sort of like having a sex therapist in your pocket at all times, and we talk to people mostly about erectile issues, so that might be premature ejaculation, performance anxiety also women that are struggling with orgasms or want to improve their orgasms, couples struggling with libido issues, and then also dating. We have a lot of customers that are single, tired of being single, frustrated with online dating, and we help them with reviewing their online dating profiles, helping them with their confidence and texting and communicating and figuring out what their goals are in their dating life.
0: And so is it predominantly text-based or can they also opt to speak on the phone?
1: Right now it's all text-based because some people struggle with these topics with them being a little bit taboo. So right now we started with that, but we do want to eventually expand to audio and video. The coach is available seven days a week and it's only $24 per week. And that's, way more affordable than what you would usually see with these professionals. They usually charge $200 an hour, sometimes even more in their private practices.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: we're able to provide it via the app for only $24 per week.
0: Yes. As someone who offers similar services in person or on the phone, I can attest that that's true.
1: And then also with your listeners, we're going to be able to offer a five-day free trial.
0: Which is absolutely amazing. So we'll say it now and also a little later later, The code you want to use, of course, will be closeness to get your five-day free trial. Now, would listeners have a constant stream of different text conversations with different therapists or are they assigned to one?
1: Yeah, we assign the client to one because then you can form a relationship with them and get to know them over the long term versus having to switch off people frequently And also with the, this coach, it's really flexible up to the client. If you want to sign up for a week and work through something that's acute, or you can work with the coach for months, it's really up to you.
0: Okay, perfect. And then is there any type of information that they have to provide their coach or is it up to them and their own discretion? What type of personal information do you gather or is it an anonymous interaction?
1: Yeah, we don't, you can stay completely anonymous to the coach. You can just pick a nickname and go by that they don't get any information about your phone number or email or anything like that and you share with them what's going on in your life right now if you want to talk about female orgasm or premature ejaculation and we have some little quizzes intake forms that help you share this information because i know often it's hard to talk about these topics so those help you guide you through sharing all of that information with your coach
0: really nice So this is an app that can be downloaded right from the app store.
1: So to get the five day free trial, you can just enter the closeness code and that way you'll get five days of coaching with the actual coaches completely for free in the app before you have to pay anything.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's really amazing. Is there a limit to how much texting you can do back and forth per day? Like, can it be whole dialogues and discussions or is it just a few moments that you get with them? How does that work?
1: So there's no scheduling involved. We try to keep it super flexible for the client and the client can text them as much as they want in the app throughout the day as feelings or thoughts come up or a date or something like that. You can just text them and then the coach will always get back to you within 24 hours. So it's not live. And so that makes it more flexible and more affordable so that people don't have to be online at the same time.
0: Then let's chat a little bit about female orgasm issues or erectile dysfunction issues. Do you have any stats on that? And can we go into that a little bit deeper?
1: Yeah, we see a lot of women, about 15% of women have never had an orgasm. And usually this is because of more social Psycho factors. It's not a a medical disorder or anything like that I think people think it's a medical disorder when you hear women can't orgasm if you don't work in the field But usually it's just with how we're socialized as women to not really prioritize our pleasure And we're not taught from a young age that it's okay to masturbate And so then when you're an adult you don't really know what you enjoy and what your own body wants And then it makes it even more difficult to communicate to your partner what you desire so often when we're working with women that struggle with orgasming, the first thing the coaches discuss with them is their masturbation routine, or if they ever masturbate or how they masturbate, because you really has to start with yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: they'll go over all of that. And if they're unfamiliar with anatomy, and we try to be really tangible. So instead of just saying, well, you need to masturbate, the coach would a- actually help them with Well, maybe place your fingers here or at this speed, experiment with that. Or if they feel like they need to purchase lube or a vibrator, recommendations there. And then, of course, the other piece of this is communication. And a lot of people, I think, find it difficult to communicate about these topics with their partners. Mm -hmm. So how to describe what you enjoy to your partner and the coaches helping you with those conversations.
0: Right. I did a similar episode on something like this where I recommended... If you've been able to have an orgasm by yourself, but you've never been able to have one with your partner, because this comes up as well, usually people try to workshop that during sex. So one of the recommendations I gave was try having an orgasm with your partner present in the room or even just nearby or holding you and caressing you through it while you bring yourself to orgasm. In other words, doing something where their presence is very soothing and it's helping you get there without necessarily having penetrative sex.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of our coaches recommends show and tell. So if you're mm-hmm. with your partner and you're struggling to you know, describe it to them and you feel more comfortable with them just watching in the beginning, that's definitely one step closer.
0: An interesting sidebar is how can your partner behave and act in a way that's conducive to getting you there? It's really hard to get out of your head if you've got a partner who's almost pestering you about, If you're there yet, or have you gotten there yet, or checking in to see if you're there, it does more harm than good. At the same time, if you do want to help someone get there, there has to be this continual movement. The train has to keep going towards orgasm. And so it's always a fine line to dance on, to be able to sustain the same pressure, keep the rhythm that she likes, continue with a repetitive throbbing tongue stroke or flick or way of moving your finger it helps get her there without interfering or getting into her head by checking in.
1: Oh, totally. I think a lot of times people are in their head about, am I taking too long? Then that anxiety takes away from the ability to orgasm.
0: Mm-hmm. I've had women share that with me before we've even had sex that they have some concern around that they don't want to take too long or even, which always surprises me, they don't want me to have a bad experience because it may take them a while to orgasm. So it does come up. Do you personally have some thoughts about what helps women get out of their head so that they can orgasm easier or at the very least relax in the sex?
1: Well, I think it really, really depends on the individual woman and what is on her mind. Mm -hmm. Is this someone that, this is a partner that you've been with for years and, or is this a one night stand? I feel like that's going to really change the um, environment. Also with, in your head, I feel like, we see a lot of women that are kind of juggling a lot, a career, maybe also kids, and they're doing a lot in the household. And I feel like oftentimes in a kind of a traditional relationship, the woman has to handle more of those extra chores. Right. And so it is hard for them to kind of turn all of that off and just be present. And so I remember one of our coaches told told our client that if he kind of maybe picked up around the house more or did some more of those chores, she feels like the woman in the relationship would be able to relax more during those intimate moments. Mm. And it was these other stressors that were having an effect. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. I think other women need some sort of trick to help them stay present. Right. And grounded. And I think that might mean like thinking of a common fantasy to kind of pull you back to the moment or say, or actually just saying like, hey, can we take a break and change it up? And that helps them get grounded again. And I think it's different for each woman. And that's why, so Juicebox is a great resource because it's personalized for each client versus you know you just watching a YouTube video on the topic or reading a book. And so right. the coach can figure out what's really best for you in your scenario.
0: Yeah, I think it is tricky as a partner, because as you said, it is different for each woman. Even if you ask the question, do you know what you need that would ground you? Or do you know what you need that would get out of your head? Oftentimes, the answer is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or they, they don't know what they need in that moment that might make a difference. And so sometimes I think you get a little stuck there. But I do think just backing off and backing away, doing some you know cuddling or soothing or things that help you get present and settle into a now moment can really help as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think some also women get hung up on not feeling comfortable bringing toys into the bedroom or vibrators or lube and these other things because they feel a little insecure about it or they're worried their partner will feel insecure if there's other elements in the bedroom. Right. But I think a lot of women should, I mean, there's no shame if you need a vibrator to orgasm or yeah. you can only orgasm from your clitoris. I see that question come up a lot. Well, I can't, you know, have a vaginal orgasm. And we have to explain to women over and over again that actually it's it's quite rare. Most women can't do that all alone.
0: You're right that sometimes there can be that shame, uneasiness, or embarrassment with women when they think of touching themselves or using a toy in front of their partner. And how we find and navigate comfort in that beyond simply saying, I'm comfortable with it. What are the things we can do to help her open up and want to share herself in that way is interesting to me. In my own personal relationships, I have often taken her hand and gently guided it down between her legs with the hope that me demonstrating that I'm comfortable with it helps her feel comfortable with it as well. I think it's helpful to give an overt gesture that demonstrates, yes, please touch. I'm comfortable with this or we can do it together, which is super fun. Do you have any thoughts or advice on how to initiate a conversation like that or invite toys, touching, and other activities into the bedroom that would help a woman relax to reach orgasm easier?
1: Yeah, I think a huge part of this is kind of a shift in mindset because we're told from a very young age that sex is bad or dirty or don't talk about it and you can't talk about it at school or with your family. And then suddenly we're adults and we're expected to be really comfortable with all these topics and amazing in bed. But just like all other life skills, it's learned. And unfortunately, we're never really taught about intimacy or healthy relationships or sex. Mm -hmm. And so I think when people see in the media that other people are, you know, having hot experiences or doing really well, that then you feel shame because you're not living up to those expectations. Yeah, But I think a lot of this is just shame you learn from a very young age and then educating yourself and exploring yourself. So I think if you surround yourself with podcasts, books, videos, coaches, educational materials, or just this kind of a sex positive community, it's amazing how I've seen that change my life and other people around me. I think just being involved in those circles really makes you feel like, oh, it is totally okay and comfortable to masturbate or go to a sex toy store or buy vibrators and things like that. And so I think that is a good first step if you are listening to podcasts like this or engaging in the community in another way.
0: See everyone, you're doing the right thing already. So is that what you mean by closing the orgasm gap?
1: Yeah. So there is a orgasm gap between men and women. So about over 95% of men orgasm regularly during sex. And for women, that number is closer to 65%. Right. So uh, we do need to increase equity in the bedroom (laughs) because men and women can both orgasm during sex each time and that be a regular occurrence.
0: Yeah. Something I practice myself is just not having an orgasm unless she does or until she does. So there is a little more equity in that.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I wish more men did that.
0: Hmm, Thank you. Now, speaking of pleasuring women and putting them first sexually, do you also feel there's a way that Juicebox empowers women?
1: Well, we do have a lot of amazing female coaches on our platform. And I think role modeling is really huge. And so if you can see this other kind of empowered woman who embraces her sexuality and you're talking to her, then I think it is really empowering as a client to see Mm -hmm. that example and to practice all of this in the app with the coach before you have to, I guess, go out into the real world or with your partner and uh, do it there. And so I think the role modeling aspect is huge.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. For a long time on the show, I've been wanting to talk about how often women masturbate, which I think is a lot and very often. And almost every woman I come across is like, yes, daily, sometimes three times a day, sometimes more. And I've wanted to share that, but I didn't want it to come from a man's perspective. So finally I had a woman on the show the other day. It's like, yes, I do it every day. And I think when people hear that and they hear the comfort in that, that it can be inspiring to be more comfortable with their own sexuality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't seem... <laughs> I think the secretiveness, that's not really a word, but the the secrecy of it is uh, really challenging.
0: Okay, so let's move into what you think makes for a successful sexual encounter. Did you have some thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, I think some of it we've already talked about the equity piece and the communication and consent piece. Uh, Obviously, we've been talking a lot about consent in our country over the past year and I think some people feel like the rules have changed, but really the rules haven't changed and people are just becoming more aware of them. Yeah. But I think people are realizing more that, you know, why would you want to, It's it's way more fun to have sex with someone if they're really enthusiastically on board. Right. Otherwise yeah. it should be not sexy. <laughs> so I think that's a big piece of it. And then also, being able to very openly communicate your desires and give direction. So if you're not enjoying the encounter, being able to say, Oh, slow down or actually speed up, or could you move to the left a little bit? I think especially women struggle with giving that direction back because they worry that they're going to hurt their partner's egos, I think. And then also they're just a little insecure around kind of taking their pleasure into their own hands because they're taught that you know, one day men will give them their pleasure mm-hmm. instead of really claiming it for themselves. So I think really open communication. And so for men, I think that means giving women the space to speak up or asking really open-ended questions to try to get that feedback so that women feel a little bit more comfortable in those moments. Uh, I think those skills will really create a more successful encounter.
0: It's so interesting because I think that many of us feel like we can't talk during sex. And sometimes all that needs to happen is for the man to move up a tiny bit or adjust ever so slightly for the whole thing to become 10 times more pleasurable. So often women won't speak up about that. And it's hard to tell if it's getting uncomfortable or if it's just getting really intense and feeling good. And so, yes, I agree. Speaking up is a big part of it. It's such an interesting notion to me, I'll just outright say it, it's such a silly notion to me to think that that someone who isn't you and especially someone who's not your gender is going to know how to best pleasure you. And we can be very skillful, we could be very knowledgeable, we could have had experiences, but ultimately you know exactly where those little spots are, or if you don't, you can do some guiding and coaching to help them find it. There is something else I wanted to ask you.
1: Was it equity or consent?
0: Oh yeah, thank you, equity. This is kind of a bizarre question, but I've always felt that men don't have to worry so much about if a sexual encounter is going to be at the very least good or decent, because we don't ever have to worry about this one thing, which would be if a woman comes too quickly, and obviously women don't suffer from premature ejaculation, which would usually bring a stifling end to the interaction. I was thinking about doing an episode on it and I was trying to figure out if there's a way for women to communicate in advance or to know in advance if it's going to be a great sexual encounter or if the man is a selfish lover or he may just wind up finishing quickly for whatever reason, whether it's because he has his own needs in mind or because he may suffer from something like premature ejaculation. And I actually thought how nice it might be to simply phrase it as a question and ask your partner how they feel about pleasuring another woman Do they put their own pleasure first? Do they find that they come rather quickly? So I wondered if you had any other thoughts about that or ideas around if a woman can know if her experience is going to be worth it for her before she's in the throes of it and finds out too late.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think so many people, you know, go on a date or meet at a bar and then they say, do you want to come back to my place? Right. then then they're back at their place. And they've never said, what do you enjoy in bed? And this drives me yeah. insane. I'm like, what? Why do people do that?
0: You just have <laughs> but, no idea.
1: Right. So usually, I mean, when I'm on a date, and, but usually at least by the time we're walking home or when we're still at the bar, I'll usually say what do you enjoy in bed. And mm. I think so for some people, this just blows their mind that you could just have an open conversation about that before you get back to their apartment or house. Yeah, but I think that that's really important uh, because you're still having that conversation kind of in a safe space. You're mm-hmm. not you're not like naked or you're not feeling really vulnerable yet, and yeah. you can have kind of a really direct conversation about all of those aspects. And I think that's where that would come up, right? If you ask those questions, then you would see if if it is a heterosexual couple and if the dude is really off put by that conversation or can't talk about female pleasure then maybe she shouldn't go home with him.
0: But you know, I think there's also something in women that says where you say to yourselves, don't talk about it because that means that it's going to happen. And then that means I have to take responsibility for choosing to have sex tonight or expecting to have sex tonight and for some reason it seems like women love to avoid that responsibility of saying, that's what I want to do. It sort of goes hand in hand with that expression of we're not having sex tonight and then having sex, or I can't believe I'm doing this. I've never done this before. It kind of builds this idea that a woman doesn't realize she's going to be having sex until it starts happening to her rather than making the conscious choice of like, yes, I do want to go home. And I understand that what that means is I'm probably going to be having sex with you shortly after. And I think if that mental shift can hit, well, then it obviously leaves so much more room to communicate and talk about what you might like beforehand. It sounds so funny and almost exceedingly basic to say, allow yourself to ask for and then receive the pleasure that you're about to get. Mm -hmm. When you ask someone, what do you like in bed? What type of answers are you looking for? What are you looking to hear back? And what are you hoping to be asked?
1: I guess when I ask that question, I'm just looking for some direction as to what might be happening a little bit later. You know, do they, you know, I'm queer, so I sleep with men and women. So when I hear that, when I have that conversation with women, it's usually like, oh, I do like strap-ons or I do like penetration or I don't like penetration or I actually really love vibrators or I'm more dominant or I'm more submissive and we get into all those details. So that's really what the conversation looks like to me. And I think it's for me, it's just more of like, what directions to follow, <laughs> like a guide.
0: Right. So that's actually helpful. I'm looking for what directions to follow. Because I was wondering how I might answer that myself. If someone asked me, what do I like in bed? Do I talk about positions, kink, communication, style of touch? It's really unlimited. I'm just going to nudge you a touch further. What would you like to hear back from a man? What would be sort mm-hmm. of a very invitational. Response for you?
1: Well, I think what's different between straight couples and queer couples is that straight people assume what sex means. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to have sex, they assume it means penis and vagina. And this is very, very off putting. Right. Because when I have sex with women, it's always like, well, what do you want to happen tonight? And so I think if we could shift that mindset with men that we might have sex tonight, but it might not be penis and vagina, then I think a lot of women would just be really put at ease and feel more comfortable that they had more control in saying what was going to happen that night. And I think the assumption that sex means penis and vagina is really damaging Mm -hmm. because it means that's like, the only definition of sex and really that might not always be the most pleasurable thing for a woman maybe she doesn't love penetration or maybe she doesn't feel comfortable doing that on a first date and she wants to start with oral sex or something like that but unfortunately a lot of straight couples never have that part of the conversation they just skip (laughs) to an assumption as to what will happen
0: You're right. I think it's huge to be able to set that expectation and I also think if you are a woman and you're very clear about what you are comfortable with and you know that you're not going to change that thought for the rest of the night then that's great. Express it, set the boundary and that's how we move forward. I also think some men get confused when women change their mind. Not because it's not okay to change your mind but because we're so accustomed to obviously listening to what a woman says and requests. So if she says, we are not going to have sex tonight or don't get the wrong idea or I'm not usually like this and then does a complete 180 and downright wants to have sex, yes, that can be a great thing, but it can also be very confusing from what I hear when I speak to different men. Mm -hmm. And so... So with the idea of consent always in the forefront of our minds, what thoughts do you have about navigating those situations where one thing is said, but then another happens or one thing begins and then another stops?
1: Well, it's totally okay for people to change their mind. I think these things ebb and flow, mm-hmm. just like you might go back and you decide, oh, never mind, I don't want to have sex, <laughs> or okay. you decide, actually, I do. I, you know That's why ongoing consent is so important, to keep that door open where both parties feel like they can change their minds.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, let's dive into consent for a little bit. I think consent, like many other words, has quickly become what I call a loaded word. God, money, power, we all have a general idea about what it means, but we use it very differently and it has different degrees of intensity and meaning for different people. So one, it's really important to get clear on what type of consent each person needs or wants in each situation. Can you talk to us a little bit about how a man can navigate consent specifically around the group of women who say, put their pleasure into their man's hands or expect him to know, expect him to do it, or don't want to have a conversation about it because maybe it kills a moment or they get really turned on by having a man take her without negating consent in any way. And without negating those who do like to be asked each step along the way, there are many women who have different tastes on what they find exciting. What are some of your thoughts on navigating this for people who are having sex, say, maybe for the first time, which I imagine is when questions of consent are going to come up the strongest?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think personally, I don't identify as one of those woman, women that you just said wants to be led by a man. I, mm. I would never say that. I, I would want a man to continually check in, and at least in the beginning. Can you tell me how,
0: first... as you're saying that, like how you'd like to hear that?
1: Mm-hmm. I, and I'm speaking again, if this is the first or, you know, second time sure. you've slept with someone, not in a long-term relationship, but if I I would expect, a, you know, even if I'm wearing a strap on and I'm sleeping with someone new, every time I enter the person, I say like, is this okay? And I think a lot of men don't do that. Right. And I think they don't understand how vulnerable the other woman is in that space to mm-hmm. be receiving penetration and i think it's really really important for men to say does this feel good or is this okay is this comfortable i mean there's many variations Mm -hmm. and then asking that you know a few more times i don't think you have to ask that every 30 seconds or anything like that at all but if you just ask it a few times then you've given the woman the understanding that it is okay to speak up later on if Mm -hmm. something does change so i don't think you have to ask it over and over again
0: That was so well expressed for both men and women to listen to. Thank you. I want our listeners to hear that again. So you're saying that before a man or a woman puts themselves inside of another woman for many reasons, but especially because of what a vulnerable position that is to be in, that even if they think all lights are green, they should check in and ask if it's okay or if they want to continue.
1: Oh, absolutely. And then after you enter asking it again, Mm -hmm. does this feel okay? Okay does this feel uncomfortable? Do you want more lube? (laughs) I mean, there's so many variations of the question you could ask.
0: It's really interesting because I've had so many conversations of people who haven't quite wanted to do a show yet where it's just, it's such a mixed audience. You have, as you said, you're the kind of woman who wants and gives and expects consent at each turn like that. And then also I've spoken to so many women who just don't want that at all. They just want to be read. They want you to read the body language. They don't want a moment to be interrupted. And even in some cases, they want you to do whatever you want to them. Mm -hmm. And so it's such, it's a really challenging, I don't mean interrupt. It's a really challenging place to navigate as a man. Do you think there's one right answer or is the jury out on this one?
1: I would critique those women. I would critique women that say, I just want to be read and I just want to be led because no one can read your mind and i think both parties unfortunately women have been socialized to kind of stay silent and and men to lead and i do and i think that's bad socialization i think both parties need to change i think women need to understand that their partners can't read their minds if they feel like they should just be read and that some level of communication absolutely has to happen and it doesn't make the situation unsexy i think once you know a person then body language becomes completely appropriate, but I feel like it's very impossible the first or second time.
0: Okay, really good, really clear, really well stated. So while we're talking about the more sensitive side of sex, why don't we also get into some erectile dysfunction issues, men who may have some trouble getting it up, things of this nature. Do you have some statistics that might help us or some thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I think until I started working on Juicebox, I definitely didn't know as much about erectile issues, but I've seen that there's a seem to be a few different categories where there's premature ejaculation. And I didn't know that that was defined as men who last for less than one and a half minutes and that actually one in five men experience premature ejaculation. So it's, it's pretty common. And then also with performance anxiety and how that relates to erectile issues because it can keep men from being able to maintain their erection if they're feeling anxious. And then I learned also about intermittent erectile dysfunction. So complete erectile dysfunction is when you really can't get an erection ever, even when masturbating. And that's definitely something that requires medical attention and and you should talk to your doctor. But intermittent erectile dysfunction is usually when you can have an erection and masturbate on your own, but then when you're a partner, you struggle. And usually that could be related to some level of performance anxiety or also you've trained yourself over years to be stimulated in a very specific way or enjoy pleasure in a very specific way. And then when you're with your partner, you struggle. And so our coaches definitely work on all of those issues, except of course not the complete erectile dysfunction.
0: Sure. Do you have tips for men who maybe experience premature ejaculation?
1: Yeah, I think our coaches would first try to figure out what their masturbation routine is and if they've ever done Kegel exercises too, and figure out that background information. Mm -hmm. But it seems like a lot of men that struggle with that could be because of kind of how they've trained Mm -hmm. themselves over years. So for instance, if when you're young and your first experience with masturbation is that it's kind of bad or you need to do it in secret and so you try to orgasm as quickly as possible, right? To get it over with. And if you continue to do that for a decade, or more, or even when you're sleeping with a partner, if you still masturbate and try to get off really, really quickly, then that's definitely gonna impact your sex life with your partner. And so our coaches would recommend a new masturbation routine. Like, well, Mm -hmm. if if masturbating is usually two minutes for you, why don't you, for the next few weeks, try to increase it to four minutes and then try to increase it to eight minutes and just Mm -hmm. change it up like that. Also, I think men's relationship with pornography or maybe they always or uh, masturbated with a pillow or something like that, and then it's hard to simulate that same sensation when you're with your partner. And so, going through all of that background information with our coaches too is where they would probably start.
0: It's huge, and then changing habits as well, because
1: mm-hmm. you know you're
0: right. I tell guys if we've been raised our whole lives with pornography and we just get to the sex and it takes us two minutes to finish, then. How can we do that time and time again and then expect to perform differently when we're with women? If all we do every day is something that short and that brief, we have to change the behavior. Exactly. That's great. I mean, I feel like I could speak to you for hours and hours across all these different subjects. You have a really nice way of explaining things. You're really clear, and I'm really glad we got to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, me too. And just a reminder that your listeners can get the five-day free trial from the code closeness and you can download it in the app store. Just type in Juicebox one word and it'll come up and you can download it.
0: That's incredible. And just to reemphasize it, that means you can get custom tailored coaching around any intimate subject that you might want to talk about for free for five days. And to me, the price of a monthly subscription is less than the cost of one session with a professional therapist or coach. So I'm so glad you created this. Thank you again.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it was great to meet you. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Thanks for being
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. Thanks for
0: being yeah, thanks for being on the show.
1: Okay. Thanks, Thanks,
0: Brian. Bye. Bye. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. This has really been an episode about getting help and how to get help when you want it or need it. So I want to make sure you have the resources in your pocket to do so. Of course you can see a psychotherapist. You can find yourself a sex coach or counselor. You can come to me personally for closeness coaching and intimacy coaching. And you can now get in touch with me or other sex therapists. And you can now get in touch with me or other people who do the same type of work via text, via the Juicebox app. So download it from your app store. Check it out. Hopefully we'll be texting, or should I say sexting, soon. Just to be PC. That was a joke. We'll be texting soon. I will see you in the next episode. Stay close, my friends. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can donate to our Patreon by visiting patreon.com forward slash closeness, the link to which can be found in the description. All Closeness patrons get a lot of insider benefits. You can also visit our website, getcloseness.com to learn more about Closeness coaching and to experience our podcast with vivid images.